for 10 years in a row, ranking Arizona's number one most trusted referral network, rosieonthehouse.com. Information that you can't get anywhere else. And over three decades of Rosie on the House. Welcome to the 10 o'clock hour. This is hour number four of our weekly radio broadcast, our fourth and final hour. And generally, this is what we call our open home hour. And we'll still keep it true to that. We'll take your calls. But we also have a special guest. If you've been listening, October has been water month here at Rosie on the House. And we couldn't get through that month without bringing in SRP. So if you've got a question, we'll still field them. We may not take them on air. We may answer them. Uh, and the call from the call screeners booth or during commercial breaks. But to reach us, one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Anything for your home, castle, or cabin. Text questions can be sent to 411923, or you can email info at rosieonthehouse.com. And I won't say we've saved the best for last, but we've definitely saved the most significant to Arizona for last because, uh, you know, any source of water is a good source. But if you look at a state map, and you look at all the water and reservoir, SRP is unique in that it's the only in-state system for surface water that's contained to Arizona. CAP, you know, that's a 229, if I remember right, 2,900 square mile watershed that covers a numerous different states. Alamo Lake, I, we can't get any detail on because the Army Corps of Engineers manages the dam. And the state parks manages the the lake, but that's not supplying water to any type of uh, customer, whether it be municipal, commercial, residential, uh, or or agriculture. Same with San Carlos Reservation. So it brings us and and we talked about Lake Pleasant, but as we mentioned with CAP, most of the water in Lake Pleasant comes from the Colorado River, and that's their storage facility. So when it comes to in-state watershed management, we've got the Verde River and the Salt River, and SRP is the gatekeeper to both of those. There are our in-state water provider managing our, our own watershed, and we have surface water resource hydrologist, man, These guys can sure come up with some titles. Let me say that again. (laughs) Surface Water Resource Hydrologist, Andrew Volkmer, joining us on the line to share with us SRP's role in water for our state of Arizona. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Thank you. And uh, what what does a surface water resource hydrologist do every day? Oh, that's a great question. I'm not even sure of that. No. (laughs) We, uh, you know, we monitor the watershed and the reservoirs. here that SRP manages and we keep an eye on them and we we forecast water supply and we just make sure everything's looking good and that uh, the valley keeps getting its water. And from any notable reference that we've found, I mean, y'all are pretty much the original water supplier in Arizona. Yeah, exactly. We're one of the first ones to, to to put a water supply dam here in Arizona. And really that started in 1902 when, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, they passed the Reclamation Act, and then um, in 1903, the, the Salt River Valley Water Users Association was formed. Really, it was by a bunch of, of farmers here in the valley, and uh, with that, they were able to secure some funding to, to build Roosevelt Dam um, up on where the Salt River and the Tonto Creek um, come together. So that, that was built in 1911. That was really the start of things. And did they pick that destination because its two rivers came together and they felt that was the best chance for that supply to fill up quickly? 
Yeah, and actually a lot of it, you know, the original site was up on Tonto Creek, but um, they found, a. if you've ever been up to Roosevelt Dam, which I suggest anyone go up to, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. But where the dam is right now is kind of where the canyon starts, so it was really the perfect place to, to put the original dam. Um, just the, the geology was great, and then, and like you said, you were able to capture both the, the Salt River and Tonto Creek. So you've got the first dam that's set in place in 1902. When do we finish construction on that? Well, I think it, it, the construction started actually in 1904, and it finished in 1911. So That's it, still pretty It took incredible. a couple years to build, and actually when they, they started to build it, you know, they'd been in the midst of a drought, which is one of the reasons they wanted to build the dam. And, of course, if you ever want, if you ever want the rain to fall, just start, to build the, just start building the <laughs> dam and the water will come. And they actually got flooded out a couple times while they were building the dam. So it's the, it's the it, same, it went a little over, over schedule. <laughs> it's the same theory, wash your car, it'll rain the next day. That's now, right. <laughs> Roosevelt Dam was... Um, uh, remodeled in, is it 95 or 99? Yeah, 95, 96, they raised it and added some some flood control space in it because before it was just primarily for water supply. But uh, we almost, with that addition, we almost doubled the volume of it. But a lot of that volume is just for flood control, so it's not actually for storing water for supply. They did add about 300,000 acre feet of uh water supply storage in there, too, with that modification. And going back to the original construction, so seven years to build, it got flooded out a couple times. I mean, that's pretty impressive when you look at the fact uh, of what tools were available on, on hand, what what roads were like. If you've ever been up there, you know, that's very um, rugged country, and it yeah. wasn't like the road was paved. No, I mean, that's kind of why Apache, the Apache Trail was formed, was to get materials up to... Uh, Roosevelt Lake, and at the time when when the original dam was built, it was the tallest masonry dam in the world. So it really was an engineering marvel and feat at, of the time, and still is today. Yeah, Hoover Dam steals a lot of the highlight, but uh, that's just because there are as many people like us highlighting the Roosevelt Dam. We'll have to yeah, go do like a, exactly. a, a, a live interview on the dam, see if we've got satellite service out and, there. Good. And the thing about, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> well, that's not, that's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> well, the thing about Roosevelt Dam, too, they've got a, a nice little parking area. They've got signs that uh, show the history of the, the dam and how it was built. When I first moved here, I got a chance to see the original dam. It was just huge stone square boulders, and that was pretty much it it was a beautiful oh, yeah. beautiful structure and uh, there's actually if anyone's interested here in the, at the srp building they have uh, at our heritage center it's open to the public they have one of the original masonry blocks that was not used for the dam but what could have been and they've carved out a little replica of the original dam it's oh, quite the nice. sight to see but kind of gives the idea of what the scale of the, the stones they used to build the dam and where is that located um, that's here at the SRP headquarters, the Project Administration Building. It's by the zoo on uh, on Mill Street. So if you want to ever visit the dam, you go up Beeline Highway and go to Pumpkin Center and have a nice cafe brunch lunch there. You go visit the dam and then to Tortilla Flat for another for a steak and a, and a cold beer on your way home. <laughs> that's right. I I think right now, unfortunately, that the Apache Trail might be closed because oh, of the recent right. storms. But once they get that back open, that that's sure right. is a nice. What what's the watershed of Roosevelt Dam? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, the watershed um, is actually about sixty five hundred square miles in size. Um, it stretches all the way to eastern Arizona, 
that you know as far east as Alpine, which is almost the the New Mexico Arizona border, and then if you include Tonto Creek because that flows into into Roosevelt as well, that goes just follows the rim over by Tosholo and then just north of Payson. So it's it's quite impressive in size. The Black and the White River form Salt River, and all together, and that's about 200 miles in length. So the Salt River itself is pretty impressive. So that prompted me to to not distract from that watershed and the impressive size, but forced me to double check my Colorado River. That's 40,000 square mile watershed. Yeah, <laughs> we're not as big as the, as the Colorado River, but I mean, we can still pack a punch when it comes to water supply. That all comes up to Roosevelt Dam moving downriver on the Salt. We've come to our next body of water and our next dam there. Yeah, that's the so that's Horse Mesa Dam, which um, probably more people recognize that as Apache Lake. It forms Apache Lake. So, um, and really, the the next the next two dams downstream are Mormon Flat Dam and Canyon Lake, and then Stewart Mountain Dam and Saguaro Lake. And we we refer to those three dams as our and and reservoirs as our our lower salt reservoirs. And how do they work in conjunction? I mean, do you monitor those levels to determine when you release Roosevelt or vice versa? So usually we, we keep those, those three dams all have hydro generation on them, and that's mostly their purpose. So we actually keep those dams full um, throughout the entire uh, part of the year just to make uh, hydro generation more efficient. And then we release water from Roosevelt down to those. To, to keep them full. And then Stewart Mountain Dam is where we control our releases uh, downstream for water use. So so really we keep those full and then um, releases needed from Stewart Mountain and for a water order. And Stewart Mountain contains which lake? Saguaro Lake. So this is still before the Verde even intersects. That's, that's correct. Uh, the Verde is probably uh, 15 miles downstream maybe of... Uh, of Stewart Mountain Dam, where where it confluences with the with the Salt River. So, how do you determine how much water to release for tubing? <laughs> well, so we, you know, we just release water based off of our water order and what what our shareholders um, need for demand. Um, the tubing is really just a byproduct of of what of what's being released for that water order. So, you know, we don't release for the tubers, but that's just a a, a healthy byproduct for that they can use for so a two in one a two in one use that's great that's right and it's been a long time <clears throat> since i've tubed the salt but i understand that has really been cleaned up from uh what it had gotten to at some point it was gotten a little a little grody and they went through and did a big uh cleanup and restoration we flew over it a couple weeks ago man that's some good clear water yeah it's a beautiful it's a beautiful stretch of river and so if we go upstream on the Verde, who then manages Bartlett and Horseshoe? So uh, SRP manages those two as well. Um, so, yeah, you, you go upstream of Verde and you have Bartlett Dam and then Horseshoe Dam. And um, in the usually in the winter, we're making our water deliveries off of those two dams because they're smaller. Um, so we try to keep those lower in the winter because there's a better chance that we'll get more, they'll, they'll fill up. And then in the summer, we usually stop delivering from those two, and we switch our delivery over to the salt side, so we get our water from Stewart Mountain. <laughs> but yeah, it's a big system. It's fun to it's fun to to 
to try to manage. And we're going to continue talking water and the SRP water delivery system with surface water resource hydrologist Andrew Volkmer right after this. All right, before we get back to topic here, let's get rid of these Suns tickets. They're for Monday, November 4th, 7 p.m. First tip, we host the Philadelphia 76ers. And generally, we do it uh, a trivia question, but let's just throw a softball out there. Just name your favorite Suns player. Current, past, doesn't matter. If you can correctly name a Suns player, you'll be entered to win. And something to note, uh, this is new, and it's specifically to the Suns. These are not paper tickets. These are digital tickets. So you'll have to create an account, and we'll have to transfer them to you. You'll have to accept transfer. So it, it's a digital ticket, uh, and, and it's a little different than we've done in the past. All right, name a Suns player, and you'll be entered to win between now and the end of this programming segment. Back to our water topic, and we've got Andrew Voltmer from SRP on the line talking about all the uh, dam systems that uh, – SRP manages on both Verde and Salt. And Andrew, when they're all at their top capacity, how much water are y'all sitting on? So we, with all of our reservoirs, if they're all at capacity, we can store 2.3 million acre feet of water. So and remember, an acre foot. I don't know a football field. I like to say is about an acre. That's a so a foot of water on a football field is one acre foot. So we can have 2.3 million of those. And if I remember right from my research, I mean, that would be un- enough to supply the state of Arizona for water for one year. Not that we'd want, want to drain all those reservoirs. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but that, would, that could sustain Arizona for one, one calendar year. Yeah, I mean, I'm not 100% sure how much the whole state would take, but I think it would, it would do, go a long ways. <laughs> All right, so we've gotten all the water, you know, and on the on all the dam systems, and we've passed the Verde River, and we're coming up to, you know, what's the next structure, and where do we start our first delivery system? Yeah, so um, after the Verde and the Salt come together, we have um, Grant or Granite Reef Diversion Dam, which is just a small dam, just a, not that far downstream of where the salt and verde come together and there the water kind of backs up a little bit and we have the head of our two main canals which are the arizona canal which goes to the north and then the south canal which goes to the south and that's really where our surface water delivery starts and and makes its way down to the valley and i'm going to say that your south is probably channels more water because that's probably going to more agriculture than the north you know that's a great question that you know i'm not even uh, I, I think typically it's actually pretty even the delivery, but generally speaking, I want to say that they're they're pretty equalized when it comes to delivery between the the South and the Arizona Canal. And uh, so let's start with the North first because that's going to go through mm-hmm. the most uh, densely populated portion of the state. Uh, talk through the Arizona Canal. How far does that go, and how does it wind through? Uh, yeah, basically so- Metro Phoenix. So it, it, it winds through Sertmik, um, or the, the Salt River Maricopa Indian Community, and then it makes its way over to Scottsdale and uh, goes kind of through Old Town, you know, where the River Walk is. And then you actually have the Crosscut Canal, which is about, I think it branches south at 64th Street. So that, that's one branch of it. And then eventually, of course, the Crosscut Canal 
um, is kind of the start of the, the Grand Canal, which cuts more more towards downtown. And then the Arizona Canal, though, continues up through Arcadia and it makes its way west all the way over to Peoria. So uh, it's it's quite the system. Altogether, between all of our canals, we have about 131 miles of canals. I love those canals, too, in that area. That's where I started training when I was running uh, half marathons. Oh, uh, yeah. They're, they're great places. Where I do the same thing. It's, it's hard to beat running along some water. <laughs> so how wide and how deep is that canal running? Oh, you know, typically the canals aren't, aren't terribly deep. I would say anywhere from 3 to 10 feet. And, um, you know, the, the width changes as depends on on where you're at in the canals and which canal you're on. But um, you just look across the canals. They're usually the tops are anywhere from 20 to 50 yards wide. And CAP does an extremely uh, well, a good job of engineering rainwater runoff to stay out of the canal and channel over it. And I would assume that's probably a big part of y'all's canal system as well as managing surface water from from rain runoff and not infiltrating your system. Yeah, we we try to do the best. Our our system is a bit older than CAP, so you know they have a lot of areas where they actually go over with their storm water. Um, we don't have as many of those, and sometimes we actually have storm water that goes into our canals. But we have drains where if the canals reach capacity, we have to open those drains up and let the stormwater go through into, for example, into Indian Ben Wash. So, uh, but yeah, we, we definitely, and um, we have a group that's monitoring the canals 24-7, our, our ADC group and water transmission group, and they do a great job of keeping an eye on things. And, and if they see a storm over Phoenix and the canals are starting to rise, they do a great job of, of managing that stormwater. Talking water with SRP, one of the pretty much the only in-state surface water system completely contained and generated by uh, within the state system itself. And we're going to continue our conversation here at Rosie on the House. And uh, state, hang tight. If, if you got the name of a Suns player right, we'll draw a random winner and send you a text here in the bottom of the hour news. And then we'll send you directions on how to set up your electronic account if you don't have one so we can transfer these to you. And you can go enjoy watching the Suns host the Philadelphia 76ers. That's Monday night. November 4th. And a place to sit somewhere near Welcome back to our open home hour. If you're just joining us, we've altered our format a little bit. If you do have a question about your home castle or cabin, we'll take those at one 767 4348 Email info at or text at 411-923. We probably just won't do it on air today because we're fitting in an interview with SRP, Surface Water Resource Hydrologist, Andrew Voltmer, because we couldn't get through Water Month here at Rosie on the House without talking to SRP. 
ARP. And if you've been following the headlines on water, man, it, they can sure make it sounds lo- sound like doomsday. Arizona will wrestle with finding water for its suburbs. Underground water uncertainty. Pinal County may lack underground water resources. Even Safe Water has its grist study finds. Arizona experts' water laws are flawed. Oh, my head. We're here to clear uh. and mucky up that, that mucky water for y'all. And, you know, we've got uh, enough to use but not enough to waste. And we're t- educating everybody about where our water sources come from because we feel if you can understand where it comes from, you have a better appreciation responsible with the water at our home that we manage. And, Andrew, to, to do that, let's get back up to the mountains and talk about, you know, that little that little flake that falls out of the sky that brings so many people to Arizona. <laughs> oh, yeah. So The snowpack. I mean, our, our watershed expands all the way up into the mountains by Williams and all the way east to Alpine. So we, we have a lot of snow that provides a lot of water. And it is interesting to look at a map of all the rivers of Arizona when you say Williams. You know, that's so far off geographically from where we think about the Verde and the Salt. And you would think that would fall more into, you know, the Lake Alamo watershed. But you've got that range there where it all goes in that big Chino wash, comes into the Verde, comes into the Salt, comes right into, you know, the Valley of the Sun. And it's, you, a long, it's a long ways for it to flow, but it makes it down. And we, we try to store it and hold on to every last drop and make sure that we're we're using it wisely. And from Williams to Alpine, talk about the people that y'all have in the field constantly up there. Maybe not during the heat of the summer or 24-7, but you've constantly got people up there monitoring and, and anticipating and calculating for what that total shed will be each year. Yeah, so during the winter especially, um, us in surface water resources, we like to keep an eye on the snowpack. And so we'll we'll go out there, you know, every once a week, once it starts to snow, and we'll we'll take measurements. We'll either drive up by Flagstaff, you know, Clint's Well, or we'll fly up into the White Mountains and, and, and take measurements and observations of how much snow is up there. So then we can really get a, a good grasp of how much water we can expect to come down into our reservoirs once it starts to melt. So there's a group of us watching over it, and we also have a lot of uh, instrumentation that our, our uh, water measurement group. In wilderness survival class, they'll teach you you can never stay hydrated just eating snow. You have to melt it for drinking to stay hydrated. What, you know, what what does a pound of snow melt down to in drops or gallons of water? Is there an equation or ratio that y'all are using? Or you know, so that really just depends on um, how cold it is and how I guess how wet the snow is when it falls. But you know, a lot of times when when you when snow falls, uh, ten inches of snow depth would equal to, uh, equate to about an, an inch of water. So if you took 10 inches of snow and melted it down and put it in a rain gauge, that'd be about an inch of rain. As, as the snow melts, it becomes denser, and, uh, and, it, and that ratio definitely goes down. So once, once the, And that's one thing we, we look at is snow density. Um, once it becomes so dense, that's when it starts to melt. And uh, we call that a ripe snowpack once, once it starts to melt like that. And that's that's really when we can expect flow into in our rivers to uh, increase and start to fill up our reservoirs. And so when you're talking an inch to 10-inch uh, ratio, 10 to 1, you know, if you're looking for that acre foot of water, you know, you're looking for 120 inches of snowpack to make that get that one foot of, of standing water that you measure your acre feet in. Yeah, I mean, it, it, <laughs> maybe it doesn't quite work out like that, but uh, that's a good way to think about it. Um, 
I know I, I sure wish we'd get 120 inches of snow <laughs> up there, but that doesn't usually happen. <laughs> Unless you have a snowmaking machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, and that's 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 something great to bring up. We're we're always looking into 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 other ideas, and there's a lot of things that you can do, like weather modification, where you actually can uh, seed clouds and and hope and and cause precipitation to form in certain conditions. So that's that's another thing that we do in our group is we're always we're always researching and looking looking out to things that can help help the watershed out. And you have meteorologists that mm-hmm. uh, on staff that, that study these things. That's right. So we have in in, in uh, the group I'm in, surface water resources. We have three hydrologists and then three meteorologists. And during the summer, they actually are always monitoring the monsoon, and they're also making they come out with a forecast twice a day um, for temperature, and that helps forecast load on the power side. But then in the winter, um, they're constantly coming up with uh, forecast for the for the watershed so we can we can see how much snow or rain we we can expect and not only is that important for a seasonal inflow but you know sometimes when when the reservoirs start to get full we really need to keep an eye if we're, if we're going to have a big event that could potentially cause us to have to spill water from the reservoirs so they're they're always keeping busy and they're not only are they doing their their forecast but uh, a lot of research too so it's it's good to have meteorologists and hydrologists on staff. It now, really helps the, our water supply. These it. meteorologists now these this is this is from the National Weather Service or do you use the University of Arizona? So our meteorologists are actually in house. They're uh, oh, they're SRP wow. employees. We do work with uh, the National Weather Service. Actually, the Phoenix office is located here at our SRP headquarters. So we work closely with the meteorologists from the Weather Service, and then we do some research too with with the, the U of A and ASU um, with their meteorology. But but our own meteorologists are in-house, so they're SRP employees. All right, so Andrew, I just had a question there when you were talking about releasing water in anticipation of a big flow coming down river from you know, a big storm or a big snow melt off, whatever the case. You mm-hmm. stated earlier all the dams can hold 2.3 million acre feet of water. How fast can you empty all that if you need to? Oh. You know, I don't know how fast we could empty that whole 2.3 million acre feet. That's a great question. I don't. Hopefully, we never have to do that. But you know, I will say that we can route a good amount of flow through our reservoirs if needed through the spill gates. Um, I think back in the the 70s and 80s, some of the the peak flow through the valley in the Salt River was, you know, I think 180,000 cfs. So we have the ability to pass that and more. It's all all based off of the probable maximum flood, um, but hopefully we never we never get into a situation where you have to pass that amount of. Amount you have of to water be real careful though, because you can't pass. Uh, there's a finite amount of water you can put through Tempe Town Lake until suddenly there's a flood warning in Tempe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and a lot of that that all the water that comes through Tempe Town Lake comes comes from our dam. So you're right. I mean, it's a. It's, hopefully, we're never put in that situation where we have to. To release that much water, but um, the infrastructure is in place to do that. So um, usually, it's it's always done in a safe manner. So that brings me to my next question. We we in the beginning of the segment we talked about all the dams in Roosevelt and you know 1902 
was the, the, the legislation. It got done in 1911. You know, most of these dams, with the exception of Tempe Town Lake, were done well before any of our lifetime of the listening audience, Tempe mm-hmm. Town Lake being that exception. Are there any more locations along our watershed that we could add additional reservoirs? You know, I mean, that's been looked at um, time and time again. But at this point, um, we're, we're just we're sticking with our, uh, our dams that we have right now. So they've, they've been tried and true in terms of water supply, and, and we, um, we anticipate that to be the same in the future. So we're always looking into the future and, uh, and looking at what we have now and how we can maximize that into the future. Let me clarify, when you release water and it goes through Tempe Town Lake, where does it go down the Salt River? Where does it end up? Yeah, that's a great question. So once it hits Tempe Town Lake, they usually, with the new gates, they just let the gates drop and it goes into the dry Salt River bed. And a lot of it, you know, when you initially release, a lot of it actually gets seeps into the riverbed and recharges in the groundwater. But eventually it makes its way down to like Gila Bend and Painted Rock which is a flood control dam. And then if you get enough water, which does, doesn't happen very often, it makes its way down uh, to the Colorado River. So down by Yuma, it, it, it goes into the Gila River, which con- confluences with the Colorado. So I don't think that that happens very often, but it definitely can if we have to release a large, large amount. And you had mentioned that you know Roosevelt is our big water resource the other lakes you keep full mainly to maximize your hydroelectricity you generate Mm -hmm. and that's another unique thing to srp is that very few people have the same water and electric company providing both utilities to them srp is one of those that does both and that's a very unique situation to the state what what amount of hydroelectricity is your water reservoir dams creating for our grid system? Yeah, so the total capacity of our um, hydro generation on our lower salt dams is about 240 megawatts. Um, it's not a it's not a huge amount to be honest. I mean, our peak last year our 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 peak load was like 7,000, close to 7,000 megawatts um, on a, one of those hot summer days, but. Uh, but the nice thing about the, the hydropower on our dams is you don't have to ramp it up like you do a coal plant. It can be, it can be flipped on with a switch, which really helps for um, when we have sudden increases in load. Um, so overall, we've, it's probably only, you know, last year I think it was about only 1% of our total power um, supply, but it's, it's an important 1%. And, and it is, like you mentioned, I mean, it's nice, like a renewable type of electricity because you're using water to generate it. You know, the interesting thing I have found in all of these different utility uh, interviews that we've done and doing the research for it, whether it was the Palo Verde Nuclear uh, Power Generation Station, whether it was Central Arizona Project or SRP or the water reclamation facilities, is all of these, I come away thinking the same thing, that Man, this is so cool. I, I, I could see myself working here. Y'all have got great careers, great jobs, and it's a great and vital service that everyone that lives in Arizona needs. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a great place to work. I go into work every day just just thinking it's uh, it's a dream, but it's, it's my job. So I, 
I really enjoy it, and it, it has a great purpose, you know. Providing uh, the valley with, with water is extremely important. As Rosie would say, I want to have your job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, our last segment of the hour coming up here at Rosie on the House. This will wrap up our water month. Not that it's, a, it's the last time we'll talk about water, but then we'll spend whole, an entire hour designated to the topic. We're joined with Andrew Volkmer, the surface water resource hydrologist for Salt River Project. We always have to talk about water. I mean, without it, we wouldn't be talking, right? Right? Final segment of our Water Month here at Rosie on the House. We've had a number of great interviews, talked to some great people. If you've missed any of them, you can go online at rosieonthehouse.com slash radio. Go through each Saturday in October, and you'll find a different water topic. We've talked about water supply. We've talked about water treatment. We've talked about water heaters. We've talked about water audits. We've talked about water recycling. And we're talking about the SRP <coughs> surface water system that's <laughs> supplies a number of residents. How many customers does SRP have, Andrew? Including me. (laughs) Well, so on the power side, we have over a million customers. And then on the water side, within our service area, there's probably about 2 million people in our service area. So, And on your SRP power bill, there's an option that you can donate X amount to solar programs for nonprofits. And if you've ever wondered, is that going anywhere? If you heard the very first hour this morning, our 7 o'clock Arizona hour, with Wildlife... Liberty Wildlife. Liberty Liberty Wildlife Wildlife. Refuge. Mm -hmm. Their location there on the Salt River at about 24th Street south of the airport has a huge solar canopy, and it's designated by that solar program that SRP provides. So you can actually go see where that donation has gone into place and helps the Liberty Wildlife and their effort to, you know, rescue and return wildlife to nature. So good work there, guys. Now, Gary keeps talking about an interesting topic that we'll want to make sure we squeeze in here. Yeah, and of course, I see it all the time when I'm running along the canals. All the things you don't hear during commercial break. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, this goes back a few years ago. Uh, Mark Knopfler, who is a musician who I really enjoy, his keyboard player, uh, and the rest of the band were in town for a Phoenix concert about six years ago. And on his blog, he said, I was walking along the canals and was fascinated by all the tilapia and was told that that was a way that they organically keep the canals clean. It eats a lot of weeds. And I uh, answered back to him. I said, you're almost correct about the fish. It's actually a special type of grass carp. And that's a program that y'all started back in the late 80s that's been very successful. Yeah. um, And those fish are called white aimer. And uh, instead of putting chemicals into the canals to keep the vegetation you put fish poop <laughs> yeah <laughs> we, we have these biological cleaners i guess so they do a great job of keeping the canals clean we did say organic <laughs> <laughs> that's right so i've noticed that everybody you know cap has their own systems uh the water reclamation plant at palo verde has their own and you know they all use a different type of fish are these uh, unique to SRP, or are these the same ones that the other municipalities use? You know, that's a great question. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure of, but I know that all of our fish that we use are the white aimer, and they're actually they're sterilized because we don't want, you know, they're an imported species, and we want to 
make sure they don't breed and become invasive. So they're 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 a nice fish that we actually when we do canal dry up, um, we actually we we take nets and we we capture them and relocate them because we don't want to lose our uh, our canal cleaners. And do you know how they're sterilized? You know, I I do not. So <laughs> that's that's a great question. I know that you know it makes them an, an expensive little fish when when they go through the sterilization process. So. Our CAP flight director, Phil Fortman, told us how they did Central Arizona, and I'll have to look that up because I just realized I missed that. But it's the strangest thing. It's something really simple, like when they're born, they, like, shake them really hard, and it messes up their or, – or they pass them through some electro field, and it, it makes them completely sterile. It's hilarious. Oh, geez. Yeah, I'd have to talk to one of our biologists on how they do that, but that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse. There's no shortage of there's no shortage of weeds because those uh, – grass carp get very big i've seen them go as high as 10 to 12 pounds and and they're easily spooked too because you'll see them kind of just uh eating along the canal bank and as soon as you walk by them it's they're gone all right last thing and this comes back ties it all into home ownership and quality of life the most coveted lots in arizona are cap irrigated lots i mean those are Beautiful properties. You S- can do. You mean SRP? What did I say? You said CAP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My acronyms here. Thanks for it's catching so me that. <laughs> but anyway, go Salt back. Salt River Project irrigated properties. They are ninety-eight uh, percent are probably masonry homes. Great structural bones. They're built on a little berm. You flood irrigate, and you know the the what that opens you up to, and and growing and. Uh, your your landscape flexibility. They are coveted lots. And if you're ever wondering where those are, you just what you really need to do is figure out if you're in the, the SRP water service area, which you can look up online. That's the first thing you want to check. And then really, you just need to get out to that lot and uh, see if if it does have those berms and if if the infrastructure is is there. We have uh, great customer service on on our irrigated lots. I don't have one, unfortunately. I wish I did though too. Me neither. To, I'm in the okay. same boat. But the the one drawback to those is you would have to move into town, and we work very hard to live out of town. So yeah, that's that's <laughs> true. They're usually they're usually in older neighborhoods that are more central Phoenix, but they are they are great to have. Andrew Volkmer, we appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us talking about uh, SRP and just educating the listeners on y'all's role in our precious water supply here to our great state of Arizona. Any any final points before we're out for the hour? Here at SRP, we're always trying to manage our water supply and ensure that it's sustainable and reliable now and into the future. So I appreciate you guys having me on. It was it was it was fun to talk about water. We'll we'll have to do it again because this really was like the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, y'all have a great uh, Arizona week. If you have questions between now and next Saturday, one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That is a number we answer all week long at the office, as well as 